0: Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced for RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Gary Barker. And I'm Leon Gitler. And this is episode 40 in our series for 2015. And today's date is Friday the 6th of November. And what's on the for this week, Leon?
1: Well, Gary, uh, we've got a terrific interview with Vicky Marmberg. Now, she describes herself as the small business queen and she mentors small business so it's going to be a terrific chat with her. And after that, we're going to have a chat with economist Stephen Gakoulis all about his assessment of the RBA's decision to keep rates on hold at 2%.
0: Yeah, and that's very interesting. In fact, if you dig around and look at the charts and whatnot, it seems much more likely that the RBA is going to sit on its hands for a while and then raise rates.
1: It could That could happen. So let's, let's have a chat with Vicky Marmberg. Vicky Marmberg, you're the small business queen. You mentor businesses. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Um, Yeah, I'm known as Australia's Small Business Queen and it's because I've had uh, longevity in owning my own businesses. So the last 16 years, I have had eight different businesses, national and international, all in different industries. When I sold off my last business, people started asking me how I could help them to grow their business, which then led me to collate my own proven system, which I affectionately call the winning hand in business. And it's based off a deck of cards because not everybody knows how to play poker and win. And not everybody knows how to play business and win. And poker is the only card game of strategy that there is. So that's what I base my fundamentals on. And I am not an advocate for gambling, not whatsoever, but I'm a true advocate for strategy. So what if someone doesn't have the right cards? We show them how to stack the deck in their favour.
1: So so what, what should they be doing?
2: So what you should be doing in terms of business and business growth is ensuring that you have the fundamentals and the business basics in place. I've found that a lot of people are looking for more business, looking for more sales, looking to make more money. And you can turn the marketing tap on, definitely, and you can put yourself out there. But if you don't have the foundation and the systems and the strategies in place to support that when your clients come through, then you'll spend more time fixing up your mistakes than what you're willing to bring on new clients.
1: So what do businesses do wrong?
2: Generally what people do wrong is they, they start running really, really quickly and shouting from their rooftops, I'm here, I'm here. And they they don't have the processes in place. So, for example, you know, people talk about a sales funnel. Um, but you need, yes, you need a sales funnel, but you also need to ha- ensure that you've actually got like a team funnel so that everyone's on the same page. So how do we duplicate things? How do we keep those processes consistent so that the customer journey, the customer ex- experience is the same throughout the, the way? and where we fail is by turning on that marketing tap and getting everything rolling before the back end's ready to support it. Like you wouldn't go driving a car with a wonky engine, so you'd fix the engine and then go driving.
1: So what sort of processes are needed?
2: Um, well, if we go back to the card analogy, we talk about ACE being customer service, ensuring that the way that we're talking to our customers is clear and concise and with the same message and voice um, and the experience is fluid. We talk about cash is king. Um, throughout that, it's about cash, cash flow, cash um, marketing, sales, conversions, and making sure that we're tracking every single aspect of business across the board so that we know where we're failing. Because a lot of people do things as per their sequence, but they don't test and measure what's been going on. And if you do actually track what goes on, you can see where you start to fail and you can see where you need to actually tune it up slightly. And we talk about Queenie's coach. Now, you know, that's where the analogy of me being Australia's small business queen comes into the equation. It's not only me though, it's the arsenal of experts. The people that you turn to that are a calibre above where you stand or have already walked the path that you're wanting to walk down. Someone you can hold hands with. In addition, your specialists, being your social media marketing people, your financial advisor. You know, so when you do make the money, who do you turn to? People that can give you support. Um, Jack is the business owner because we can't be the jack of all trades, although we all try to be. And how do you actually put together your plans? You know, plans around your marketing, plans around your sales, plans around the business, but also personal plans to make sure that everything's kind of, you know, in alignment uh, with the outcomes and planning for an exit strategy. A lot of people forget why they're going into business because business generally in the small to medium sector, people have a hobby, which then turns into a job, which then turns into a business, but then we become a slave to the labour. Which is always that big challenge. So I make sure that people actually understand where they're going, that they've got a clear direction, and that how that they can actually achieve and get there.
1: And they they need an exit strategy.
2: I believe they do need an exit strategy. You know why <clears throat> why do we need why do we come into business in the first place? Is you know are we in there to make money or is it just a hobby? You know, and what are you wanting to do? What's that long term goal? You know we all talk about the big hairy audacious goals, whether it's travel or whether it's any, anything more than that buying. 15 different properties but what is what does the business need to provide to you do you want to duplicate do you want to sell it once it's uber successful you know what is it for you what is your your life plan in terms of the business providing for you
0: but the idea for the business needs examination before you do anything else, doesn't it? What kind of a thing, you know, people, a lot of people think, oh, it'd be great to run a pub. They don't <laughs> understand what that's like. Same with coffee shops. I, I think there's something like 200 coffee shops go broke in Melbourne every year. So you need and, an and idea, and don't and you? Indeed,
1: and indeed, uh, the data from SEEK shows that coffee shops are the most popular area that business people want to expand into.
2: Absolutely, and they're probably one of the most um highest businesses that turn over. Um, I actually have also got my degree as a business broker. So when I was um, going in and evaluating some of those businesses for sale, it's completely different to what your accountant will tell you in terms of, you know, it's worth three times your net profit. It's, It's like a its own breed in terms of coffee shops failing i think yeah you have to definitely in in any business you know in the planning stages understand the fundamentals of the industry that you're stepping into where you want to take it what the exit strategy is why you're in business but when you're going through that planning stage um understanding what you can do differently or what's working in the industry but what you can do differently to actually stand out and rise above what i call the white noise in any industry
1: how well prepared are businesses for that journey
2: in my opinion from the people that i've dealt with Um, probably 40% of the people are ready for the ride and 60% of the people fall into business from the people that I've directly dealt with over the last... Fall into business meaning what? Fall into business where they go, I'm doing really well at my job and I would like to leave my job and go and work in this field and see what happens of it. And they basically, you know, or, or they have a hobby and then they start actually rolling out into that field. When we look at where that takes people, you know, it's 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 not always a smooth journey and that 60% of people kind of go into business with their eyes closed. We need to ensure that from my perspective that we're educating people as much as we can in terms of the fundamentals preparing of Who, what, when, where, and why? Like, why are you in business? And those questions arise across any business planning consistently, whether you're talking about the customer, you're talking about the business owner, you're talking about the suppliers. There has to be that kind of synergy. So does that make sense?
1: Yeah. How important is business planning uh, to actually have a business plan?
2: Well, it's very important to understand where you want to go. So, you know, business plans can vary up to a hundred page document to a large presentation with all the facts and figures and whichever else for the bank. Or it could just be a four page or two page sketch. Some people have it on napkins these days, but it's important to understand what the outcomes are going to be. So you have to have a strategy to drive you towards your outcome. And if the outcome's the magical million dollars for you, then you, you do need to know how you're going to get there. You do need to know, you know how many widgets or how many customers you're going to be speaking to or widgets that you're going to be moving.
0: So w- what's the easiest way to find out how good a market you, you're likely to have? I mean, you're not going to go into um, Brunswick Street and start a coffee shop unless you know how many there are there.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, I think if you're going into retail or into into the the hospitality industry, that you need to understand, um, yeah, you know, have you worked in the industry before? What is your actual understanding of what goes on in a, in that specific field? Um, and also your community. You know, you, you need support from your community. And what I mean by your community is, will people come to you? Are you a destination? Are you a product or service that somebody is looking for? Or or they're just walking past, like a coffee shop's are walking past. But a service-based business, you generally Google and start looking for it. So, And, of course, word of mouth too. So community is really important, understanding the demographics of any specific place.
0: And differentiation would be important. I mean, getting an espresso machine and a few mugs is not going to do it.
2: No. And, you know, these days making, making coffee's an art. Um, in terms of coffee coffee's a drug so if you can make a really 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 good coffee you'll get return business but if you make a coffee and someone doesn't like it then of course that's going to be their decision to go up the road so you do have to make sure that your differentiators are there and you've also got consistency and that's where we come back when I spoke about the cards and I spoke about um, the team you know consistency across the board so if There's one chef on or one barista on or whatever that looks like.
1: But if if 60%, as you say, fall into it, does that mean 60% will close?
2: No, not 60% will close. It's from the people that I've dealt with directly, out of the 60% that have kind of fallen into business or have just gone, I've got a good idea, I'm going to try this. The ones that have bumped into me have put their hand up and asked for help. So that 60% of people haven't closed. I've had one particular person that I haven't engaged but I've I've helped along the journey and she wasn't overly committed to it. She was distracted by the big bright shiny light syndrome and wanted to do everything all at once. So I think You know, that 60% when you're actually going into business, you need to ensure that you stay focused on that one thing and don't go off and do 10 different businesses all at once.
1: And that would be your key piece of advice?
2: My key piece of advice, your take-home piece of advice would be um, have a look at what you're doing, investigate it thoroughly, ensure that you've got a strategy and you know what you'd like your outcomes to be and map towards that and just keep going every single day, chunk towards that step by step.
0: Vicky Malmberg, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, I thought that was very interesting, Leon. Vicky's, um, you know, just showing small business how to relate to customers and provide service and stuff like that. It's basic, but it's very, very important.
1: Absolutely. And now let's have a chat with Stephen Gacoulas. Stephen Gacoulas, the RBA has left interest rates on hold at 2%, but it's left the door open for more rate cuts. How do you see it?
3: Yeah, look, I I think it was um, a bit of a a bet each way, if you like, that uh, my reading of the RBA statement was actually – a little on the optimistic side, it said that the conditions are in place for stronger economy in the period ahead, or words to that effect. So it's it's suggesting that you know, the low point in the GDP growth cycle may well be passing us by. But then on the other hand, they did note that you know, with that very low inflation number that we saw just recently, that you know, if there is any bad news on the economy, if you like, if we did get the unemployment rate creeping higher, or if perhaps global conditions or those in China in particular turn sour. Then they do have scope to cut interest rates. So I think, yeah, you know, they, they don't want to cut rates. <laughs> I think's the point, but they will if they have to, if conditions change in the next little while.
1: Well, they're saying inflation will come in lower than expected. So uh, and uh, surely you would expect that uh, they'll wait till December to see if it's on that low trajectory to see whether they cut rates further.
3: Yeah, indeed, and then well, we the. the bad news I like, I guess, for Australia is that we don't have monthly inflation. We need the quarterly numbers and we don't get the next quarterly number until the late January. So ahead of the February board meeting, if you're looking for a timetable for when they'll get confirmation that inflation is low and maybe that last quarter was just a quirky number. Yeah, we've seen that before in the past. So look, I, I think um, what is happening on the inflation front, and this is one of the dilemmas that the US Federal Reserve has got and even the European Central Bank and others, is that global inflation is very, very low. You know, that this big fall in commodity prices that we've seen over the last couple of years does feed into low consumer inflation. You know, the cost of goods and services is, is, is low globally. Australia is one of the participants in that. I mean, you think about the Fed decision and you know, procrastination if you like, about their hiking of interest rates. One of the reasons is that inflation is low there. So um, again, Australia is just part of that phenomenon and um, if we do get low inflation, uh, you know, the RBA would cut. I think it's important just to mention here to the housing cycle. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, chatter that the housing boom is ending, and all those sorts of things that we're heading for, you know, nasty recessions and all that sort of stuff as the housing market declines. I think it came through again, sort of reading between the lines of the RBA. They're not unhappy with house prices coming off the boil. In fact, that's what they want to see. So, with that out-of-cycle rate hike from the banks a couple of weeks ago, I don't think the RBA at this stage is concerned. So. You know, lots of water to go under the bridge before we see the next interest rate move, but um, for now it looks to be on hold.
1: Assuming though that the Fed will lift rates in December and uh, that will send the dollar down even further, where do you see the RBA's movement
3: then? Yeah, well that's a critical issue. Yeah, you know, the Fed uh, and again the RBA, you know, quite interestingly made the made the call that they're expecting the US Fed to, to be hiking rates in the months ahead, whether it was December or some other time, yeah, you know, it remains to be seen. But um, that is a vital issue for, for not just the currency markets, but just for global sentiment. It's, it's curious that you know the stock market's been rebounding over the last uh, week or two, uh, even though the rate hike is sort of you know, well and truly priced in there over the next few months in the US. So you know, maybe market conditions are settling down. Maybe we are getting slightly better global news. You know, China's the big concern, though. We still aren't completely sure what's happening there. And I know to, you know, quite importantly, that you know iron ore price is back below fifty US dollars a ton. The gold price is coming off as another sign of uh, this deflationary uh, funk, if you like, in the in the global economy. So that's the stuff that the RBA is mulling over, and you know, the, it, it's like the uh, the smorgasbord of information that they're checking. Yeah you know, some things are okay, some things are weak, and some are strong. So that's their dilemma.
1: Certainly, uh, all the uh, economists, like people at the ANZ, are tipping. Uh, the RBA will cut interest rates by 50 basis points next year. Where do you see that?
3: Look, I'm I'm an on-hold person. I, I think, as I said, the RBA is not unhappy with the growth performance. yeah. Obviously, they'd like to see GDP a little stronger and the unemployment rate a little lower. But again, they are of the view that the the critical thing that they assess is, is the 2% cash rate a handbrake on economic growth? And when we look at the credit numbers, particularly the recent business credit numbers, um, it doesn't appear to be a handbrake on the economy picking up. Something else is at play. And and on that score, well, then, of course, we've got this... just about impossible to measure uh, effect of the change of uh, Prime Minister and treasurer in Canberra that you know, there is some optimism tentative albeit that the changes will lead to a better policy outcome than under the previous government but you know early days yet so look the RBA Could well cut. Of course, that's where the risks are, that uh, we could see that move, but for the moment, for the next few months, I would argue that they're going to sit tight, wait to see the next inflation number, wait to see what happens to the jobless rate, does it get below six or stay above six, and then once we get to February with the uh, release of the December quarter inflation numbers at the end of January, we and the RBA will have a much, much better view on where the risks and pressures are in the economy.
1: So uh, for now, we just wait and see?
3: I'm afraid so. And uh, it might make it a bit uh, less exciting, but on the other hand, I think it's really important that we you know, don't overstimulate and rekindle the flames of the housing boom. But I guess that's one of the RBA's concerns, as we just mentioned. You know, they're not unhappy that house prices in Sydney and Melbourne appear to be coming off the boil, with you know a, a decline in the auction clearance rates and these sorts of things. So they're not they're not unhappy with that. I think one of the last things they'd want to do is cut rates now, and then all of a sudden see that uh, rush to support Sydney and Melbourne house prices. Maybe they'll let it go for a little while, but yeah, you know, it's this fine-tuning, if you like, um, of waiting for an interest rate uh, adjustment to be sort of um, presented in clear and unambiguous terms. At the moment, there is some ambiguity whether they need to cut or not.
1: And, of course, uh, you've got the Turnbull effect and uh, that great mystery of whether it's going to have any impact at all.
3: Indeed. Well, in fact, uh, one of the things that I've been working on is the Dun & Bradstreet survey. We actually asked the business sector, does the change in leadership materially impact on their business? And... Close to two-thirds said it had no impact at all, so that's fine. They're, they're, they're worried about other things in the economy rather than the tinkering of policy here in Canberra. Interestingly, there was there was just around about 30% of respondents said that it would be beneficial to their business, uh, and only a very small percentage said it would be negative for their business. So even though most people said, it's, look, look, it's not going to really change how they run their businesses, of those who said it would have an impact said that it would be positive. Now, whether it's enough to offset, as we just discussed, you know, the the cooling in China, economic activity the decline in mining investment you know remains to be seen I think the big proof of um, mr Turnbull and of course treasurer Scott Morrison will be the MIEFO, the mid-year economic update which comes out uh, as I understand it sometime during December so that'll be an interesting update not only on just the budget and the economy but also on any potential policy changes that they may want in, they may want to flag with the community and just sort of signal their intention ahead of uh, the election next year
1: and chances are, are those Policy changes would become part of their platform.
3: It, that's, and this is the discussion on tax policy, among other things. But obviously, the GST is getting a lot of the headline coverage at the moment. But you know, clearly, they can't implement any of these changes in the current parliament. And gosh, we've only got about 10 months to the election at the most. So, look, I think whatever they do come up with in terms of uh, tax policy, GST, superannuation, uh, tax changes, and these sorts of things will be very much part of the uh, political platform. And that's where I think, I think where the election is going to be fought. You know, hiking the GST and perhaps broadening the base versus uh, maybe getting the revenue from the the uh, superannuation industry, which is obviously very favourably taxed at the moment.
1: Or even addressing something like negative gearing.
3: Or indeed, you nailed it. Yes, negative gearing and those sorts of things are, could also be on the table. So look, the tax reform package should consider all of that. So uh, unfortunately, we just have to wait and see what uh, Mr Morrison comes up with. But it looks as if the GST will be well and truly on the table, You know whether it's just a hike in the rate or a broadening of the base or both we, we, we'll see when the white paper comes out and then as you mentioned it'll be a policy platform for us to vote on in uh, in under a year
1: and uh, so that's a lot to look forward to steven look thank you very much for your time thanks leon thank, thank you, you.
0: So what do you think? Stevens in Canberra and he's close to the action there?
1: Well, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see. It's interesting that he says uh, the R- RBA is actually just going to take a look and wait and see what happens. And uh, his instinct is to say the RBA is just going to keep it on hold for a while.
0: It certainly looks that way. And now the news.
1: Well, Gary, first of all, to China, and uh, according to their latest official purchase manager's index, it came in at 49.8 last month, and so activity in China's vast manufacturing sector in October shrank for the fir- third month in a row, adding to fears that the world's second largest economy is slowing faster than policymakers admit. But China's president... Xi Jinping has set a growth target of no less than 6.5% as part of the world's second biggest economy's latest five-year plan. And this, the 13th five-year plan, pledges to narrow the income gap and raise a proportion of middle class population while allowing more rural residents to live and work in China's cities. Australia's largest trading partner plans to double 2010 GDP per capita income by 2020 and accelerate the opening up of several state-dominated sectors including oil, electricity, natural gas and telecommunications. And the Xinhua News Agency is reporting China is going to promote the yuan so that it will be included in the International Monetary Fund Special Reserve. And that will put the Chinese currency on a par with the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound sterling. Private sector is going to be encouraged to run health services and will be given the same status as public owned institutions. While the opening up of several state dominated sectors, including oil, electricity, gas and telecommunications are going to be accelerated. It's also pledged to create more clean and green t- production with a transformation of traditional manufacturing, green finance Financing systems and green development funds and it will also promote new energy vehicles and manufacturing of electric bikes and it plans to gradually um, raise the retirement age which the aging population is putting pressure on the nation's pension fund and china's got one of the world's most rapidly aging populations gary
0: that's true in fact they uh, they've dropped the one child policy that's
1: right, indeed, indeed. And uh, look, I mean, I actually think China's going to get old before it gets rich.
0: But uh, yeah, Well, I think that, that still remains true. It's a slight worry in a sense, because if they manage to turn 1.6 billion people into middle class, I'm not sure the planet can provide the wherewithal.
1: Well, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. But anyway, that's their latest five-year plan, so let's watch that space. Meanwhile, in Australia... And the federal government is uh, looking at uh, raising the GST. It's all talking about going to the election with a raised GST and expanded base as part of its platform. Now, over the weekend we had a report in the Sunday Telegraph saying the Federal Treasury was looking at plans to raise the GST to 15% while keeping food GST free, and at the same time delivering tax cuts to middle-income earners. And the Sunday Telegraph said this had been in the pipeline for months. At the same time acting opposition higher education spokeswoman Amanda Rishworth said Labor was prepared to fight against this proposal at the election. The Treasurer Scott Morrison subsequently flagged exempting health and education from an expanded GST, leaving food and financial services as to components that could be swept into a broader GST net. And Morrison hinted that it just wouldn't be practical to impose a GST on health and education and he said uh, health and education were excluded for very practical reasons by the Howard government when it took its tax reform proposal to the 1998 election because at the time the government felt they had to be excluded because of the large amount the government was already spent in this area and there was also a view that it would put private health and education providers at a competitive disadvantage and he's saying these practical issues remain as challenging now as they were back then and so the government is now talking about taking a GST with a higher rate and expanded base to the next election as part of its tax reform package with the GST increasing Is offset by tax cut in other areas, ensuring there's no increase in the overall tax take. And Turnbull has told reporters that fairness is going to be built into proposed changes to ensure no one is going to be worse off.
0: Well, I hope that's true, but nonetheless, the budget's got to be um, you know levelled out from where it is. We're still uh, in heavy debt.
1: And at the same time, Liberal Senator Ian Macdonald has written to Scott Morrison, Morrison opposing any increase in the GST and has told the Treasurer it won't be getting his vote. And Senator Macdonald says that as a member of the Howard government which had introduced the GST, he was committed to ensuring the tax would not exceed 10%.
0: So he's on his way back to the past. That's right, that's right. Yeah, well, at 10%, I think we've got the lowest uh, goods and services tax in the world, in the Western world. Absolutely. And it is far too low. We either pay it that way and they do something about levelling out the uh, uh, the social effect um, or we go down the Googler.
1: That's right. Now, a new survey shows that the Turnbull effect on business confidence has has, has actually been lost. And new data actually shows it's going backwards. The Dunham Bradstreet's Business Expectations Index shows a drop in sales, selling prices, employment, profit and investment in the first quarter of 2016. That's not seen since the June quarter of 2013. And that's in stark contrast to other surveys showing a rise in business confidence since Malcolm Turnbull became Prime Minister. And according to the survey, 6 out of 10 businesses expect no change in their business operations as a result of the leadership spill.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure they they um, that's justified anyway. Why should it?
1: You know, it's it's something to watch. Anyway, it's saying businesses are just watching that space very, very closely. But while businesses are wary, the latest ANZ Roy Morgan Weekly Consumer Confidence Index rose 1.6%, and Chief Economist Warren Hogan said Turnbull has made people feel more optimistic about the economy and confidence levels above are above the long-term average for the past few weeks. Now, the services sector has ended its longest period of expansion in seven years, contracting for the first time in five months, according to the Australian Industry Group data. And the AI performance of index service fell uh, 48.9 points in October, declining 3.3 points from September. Now, anything above 50 indicates expansion, anything below contraction. As I said, the move to contraction ends the sector's longest period Period of expansion since the global financial crisis.
0: Yeah, and we're still on the wrong side of the line.
1: That's right, that's right. Now, the pace of house price growth is easing, according to the latest Home Value Index by CoreLogic RP Data, and shows only a small rise in capital cities and prices rose only 0.2%. CoreLogic RP Data head of research, Tim Lawless, said a number of forces, including Lloyd reds and affordability issues, were driving the slowdown. But there was an interesting report the other day from Credit Suisse saying it's also because the Chinese interest in Australian property is cooling down because the Chinese aren't feeling as affluent anymore.
0: Well, that's true, and and, uh, they've probably laundered enough money already. But it's also the clearance rates are well down. Houses are just, some houses are not selling. The annual rate of inflation is
1: below the Reserve Bank's target range after another month of price growth in October. Consumer prices were flat following a rise of 0.3% in September, and that's delivered an annual inflation rate of 1.8%, according to the TD Securities Melbourne Institute monthly inflation gauge. And with all of that, the RBA held the official interest rate at its current row level of 2% declined to offset a string of outer cycle hikes from major lenders and that was largely in line with analog forecast but it's left the door open for rate cuts next year and in his statement Reserve Bank Governor Glenn Stevens alluded to signs of post mining boom recovery, market volatility settling down but he flagged the outlook for inflation might afford scope for the further easing of policy.
0: It'd be interesting I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around that and the budget and tax it's it's all somebody's trying to sell something
1: Retail sales uh, um, rose in September. Export growth matched the strongest growth in almost two years, supporting the RBA's view that the economy is robust enough not to need further interest rate cuts. And turnover was spurred by a jump in spending at cafes and restaurants It saw total sales gain 0.4% from August. And that's at the same time that our um, uh, trade deficit actually narrowed. Exports are up. Exports uh, rose 3% and imports 2%. Yeah,
0: which is pretty good. And it came in at
1: $2.9 which is good. Now, so that showed some sign of recovery. Now, Westpac, Australia's biggest lender to property investors, has reported a $7.82 billion cash profit. Full-year statutory profit rose 6% to $8 And Westpac Chief Executive Officer Brian Harsa said retail and big business banking had been the key growth drivers. And Westpac RBB cash earnings rose 8%. St. George up 7%. New Zealand Division reported a 6% lift in earnings, but BT Financial Group delivered flat cash earnings and Westpac Institutional Bank's margins went backwards, 15 points in line with global capital market conditions and that contributed a 12% reduction in cash earnings to 12.86 uh, million six million.
0: Well, I don't think that broke.
1: Now, another interesting piece of news is that real estate advertising company REA Group is buying iProperty which is an 86 listed rival real estate portal based in Malaysia and the deal values the target company at $751 million, and REA Group subsidiary real says it's proposing to purchase all iProperty I, I Group shares at $4 a share or $1.10.20 a, a share plus 0. 0.7 shares in a newly formed unlisted company and with an indirect interest in iProperty. REA already holds 22.67% of iProperty. They're saying the Southeast Asian real estate market will grow, driven by highly attractive microeconomic factors, macroeconomic factors like expanding populations, increasing GDP per capita. They're saying it's, um, it's a great opportunity to expand their online advertising
0: yep well good luck to them and nice to see an australian company getting out there
1: that's right now fascinating piece of news for the week was optus snatching the digital and broadcast right to english premier league in australia from fox sports from the murdoch and telstra owned Fox Sports. Now, analysts say Optus will be paying around 50 million annually to broadcast the most sports- watched sports league in the world. And the deal gives Optus the broadcast rights in Australia to all 380 matches each session. And this is a major setback for Fox Sports and for Telstra and Rupert Murdoch, which has broadcast the league since the late 1990s, airing Barclays Premier League Lambs as part of its subscription TV sports pack add on. Basically, it means the millions of EPL fans in Australia won't have to subscribe to Foxtel anymore to get the games. Consumers are increasingly switching off from traditional linear television and turning to mobile and broadband connections for content. And Optus says it's exploring its options and could include on-selling them to existing broadcasters or setting up an online distribution model for EPL fans or creating a completely new platform.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, Quite clearly, of course, uh, free-to-air television has got a terrible problem and it's called the internet. And there are so many platforms out there and many more to come it's just going to be a huge battle, and I can't see free to wear winning it.
1: No, no. Well, it's going to be so that's going to be fascinating that Optus has picked that up. And that's it for this week, Gary. <laughs> next week, uh, we're going to be talking to cash flow export David Wright. So uh, we're going to be having a chat to him in the meantime. You can keep in touch with us on Twitter at Z or on Facebook. In the meantime, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.